Hey everybody, it's me, John Hodgman, uh, co-host of iPodius, a uh, podcast about iQuadius. Uh, we give a content warning every week. Um, we use explicit language, um, and our uh, discussions reflect the adult content of the BBC miniseries iQuadius itself. Spe- a special warning, I think, particularly for this episode, is that this episode contains the portrayal of, and by necessity, our discussion of, uh, a moment of um, sexual abuse uh, between a mother and a child. Uh, no other way to put it than that, um, but we did want to give you that warning. Spring! Welcome to iPodius, a special 12-episode podcast miniseries from MaximumFun.org, in which I, John of the Judge John Hodgman podcast, watch I, Claudius, the famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome, for what may be, I dare say, the final time. (laughs) And... And I, Elliot, Elliot Kalen, that is, of the Flophouse podcast, watch it for the very first time, and then we talk about it. That's right. This week we cover I, Claudius, episode XII, the final episode, called Old King Log. On this episode of I, Claudius, we talk to friend of the show, Leanne Lewis. She is officially the best fan of I, Claudius ever, and the show didn't even exist when she was a fan of it. She is... The most original iPodius fan, and no one will ever feed her in that. Uh, And we also have a surprise for her. We track down her high school Latin teacher, Magister Richard Galenko. And let's just say, Latin may be a dead language, but he's got a lot to say. You do not want to miss it, so stay tuned. And now, as it was predicted by Thrasyllus amazingly accurately... Here's the show. Uh, again, content warning. When we last left the Empire back in, what was it, CE 48, 43? Look, I didn't even write it's, that it's in. Roughly 48. And that, now we, have, we are going to jump ahead six years. Okay. But back in, in CE 48, those crazy eye Claudians were engaged in their various schemes, backstabbing and strong arm stabbing, literal and figurative, plus a lot of nude hugging and kissing shenanigans. This is an adult show and an adult podcast, so I will give you children the moment to turn this off. Okay, right. Now I can say, when we last left the Empire, uh, it was a total fuckfest. There was a huge sex competition between Messalina, the Emperor's young wife, and Scylla, Rome's most famous prostitute and hobbyist gardener. Claudius got so wrapped up in getting that winter harbor in Ostia going that he didn't even know that Messalina had been cheating on him behind his back with everyone. He didn't even know that she had divorced him and secretly married Gaius Silius, a.k.a. some Roman dude, not not secretly, very openly. <clears throat> yeah, openly. Right. He didn't know. That's right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. He was away in Ostia getting extremely excited over his winter harbor that he finally <laughs> Just thinking built. about how he t- finally gotten those corn factors where it hurt. Yeah, he probably cr- finally cracked the code on the on the on uh, landing corn in winter. <laughs> <laughs> and mean and meanwhile, a whole extra sexy party was going on as Messalina and Gaius Silius, aka some Roman dude got married and were partying with all their actor friends and then he comes back and even then he doesn't realize that he has been totally betrayed his whole life or his whole married life with Messalina until his old friend and lover Calpurnia has to tell him and then his advisors Pallas and Narcissus who factor heavily in this episode come out from the closet and said okay now that you know you have to kill everyone if you want to remain emperor Claudius is like do I really want to remain emperor I never wanted to be emperor I wanted the republic but I'm so mad yeah, I guess I do want to be emperor. Kill everyone. Even Messalina. 
the mother of his now finally named children, Britannicus. We didn't. Le- I don't think we learned their names in the last episode. No, I don't think so. But they show up in this one. Britannicus is his son, named mm-hmm. uh, named after his conquest of Britain, which has been ongoing for some time. And then his daughter is Octavia, named either, I presume, for Augustus, uh, the Emperor Augustus, whose given name was originally Octavian, uh, or maybe because uh, she loved octopuses. I don't know. When Claudius realizes <laughs> what he has done... Uh, this, according, to, uh, according to Wikipedia, she was named for her, named for her great-grandmother... Who was Oct- who was Augustus's sister? Oh, all right. But he was called Octavian, I believe. Yes, I mean they all shared the name basically. I mean back then, there's the thing. The, the thing that uh, I think we touched on very early in the series is that Roman names were really complicated. Right. And everybody had this complicated nomenclature that involved your family name, any inherited titles your family might have had. The same way that part of Claudius's name was Germanicus, right, because of his father, right. And they so it was like. You you had a long string of that Claudius's full name Claudius was just a big just was one part of it so they right. all shared a lot of family names it wasn't like ancient Britain where it's like uh, what's your name uh, Tugga Dugga Dumbass <laughs> it's like I'm I'm Cargalagus this is my son Habatubus this is where, uh, how am I supposed to know you guys are related we all live in one village how could you not know <laughs> and we all look like Guy Fieri apparently but that's for later <laughs> uh, something that. Yeah. Something that was clear to me after I did some research uh, is that Messalina's plot from the previous episode, which uh, the ep- the show seems to make it seem like she and Silius are like, we'll make Cl- Claudius look like a cuckold. Everyone will think he's dumb, and then we'll be in charge of a republic. Yeah, that, uh, even, even though his entire emperorship was predicated on everyone thinking it was dumb. We've already been there. <laughs> but uh, the uh, that apparently, according again to what I was reading, their plot— was that they would overthrow Claudius and then Messalina and Silius would rule as regents for Britannicus because he was too young. And uh, so okay. that makes a little bit more sense. I guess so. But can, that's not what they say in the episode. I can I can t- I can tell that you've done a lot of research already. You're you're you've got quite a quite a few you're loaded for bear. Well, it all it all started department. because uh I was like, "Oh, there's a bunch of new characters in this episode. I got to get my my stuff straight about them." When Claudius realizes what he has done, what he has become, and how he's been deceived by both his now dead wife and his own very self. He cries desperately and silently into the camera. And it's very sad and uh, and upsetting. And it only gets uh, worse as we move on now. <laughs> to episode, uh, I, Claudius, episode XII, Endgame, a.k.a. Old King Log. And we start with some brand new characters, don't we? Yeah, it's a, it's a surprise. We're it's like, a wait, fake hold out. on a second. It's a fake out. It's a pancake makeup fake out. Because <laughs> you see... Old eye Claudius lying down, taking a nap, real close up. The pancake makeup <laughs> has never been thicker. And you're just waiting him for, for him to like blink his eyes open and go, oh, where was I in my history of my family? <laughs> but instead, these two people you've never seen before, uh, and we, we will learn very quickly, it's Agrippinilla, his new awful wife, and Nero, her always awful son. Mm-hmm. Leaning over, I'm going. He's dead, isn't he? Just like we planned. They killed him. They did it. Okay. Someone finally did it after decades of people really usually not bothering to kill him. Right. He. Someone finally got him. Claudius is not narrating. Now we are, we're seeing Claudius post death in the very first scene, and and Nero, who obviously is a name that uh, that is infamous 
in most people's, including my own, basically ninth grade understanding of Roman history. <laughs> Nero's a, a, a fiddler and a creep and a layabout. I mean, the, the thing is, uh, the, the story about Nero fiddling is one of the most amazing ones that survived because I don't think they had fiddles yet. Right. Uh, at that time, but no. so Nero, again, uh, this is the the constant uh, forewarning is that uh, much of what we know about Nero's emperorship is based on secondary sources by people who did, the, reading sources written by people who did not like him. Yeah. And so, again, it's hard to know if he was really as bad as we've been led to believe. But in the modern mind, yeah, he's like right up there with Caligula as like just a bad, gross dude. Well, he's pretty comically bad here. He's not, <laughs> I mean... So I mean, he's is, like he, he's like Disney villain henchman Goofy in this in this show. So Agrippinilla, uh, who we'll learn more about as we go as we go back in time to learn how she came to be killing the emperor Claudius. Uh, she's played by you know veteran British character actor Barbara Young, and Nero is played by one of the most appropriately named actors of all time, Christopher Biggins. <laughs> Because he's this great big silly guy. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, is he dead? Well, then I'm emperor. I'm emperor now. Wee! <laughs> he's, re he's, re he's really very cartoonish in this. Yeah, he's a great big kid. It is uh, It is one of the more, uh, and I and I wonder if it's that theme that I've been trying to pick up in it of uh, the degrading of, of the people of Rome over time into lesser copies of themselves. Mm -hmm. But he, he is uh, one of the more cartoonish characters in the series. Uh, yeah, and I gathered from reading his Wikipedia page that Christopher Biggins won this role in part because he played sort of a generic Roman emperor on a British television advertisement where you might imagine, so, like this guy went from oh. him like, um, I decree these sausages are worthy of the empire or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this washing up fluid is is splendid. Uh, to Tesco's has prices fit for a king. Yeah, exactly. To being on one of the one of the most definitive prestige dramas of all time, but he's great. He's great. He's hilarious. I mean, he's hilarious in this scene. It is this weird moment of morbid comedy, where Nero, who, who's who's a young man at this point, says to his mother, who is who is the architect of Claudius's death, says to his mom, uh, "I feel sorry for him, don't you?" And she goes, "No," and he goes, "No, no, neither do I." <laughs> <laughs> they're a real they're a real comedy duo. Uh, these two. What we glean from some pretty pretty telegraphed information is that Agrippinilla and Nero have teamed up to kill Claudius so that Nero can become emperor. And for that, they need to find the will. And to find the will, they have to go into the darkened inner cardboard chamber in the palace where Claudius has been writing his family history all this time. And what do they find but a royal, literal royal mess? Uh, all these scrolls all over the place. And Agrippinilla starts reading the very last bits that Claudius himself wrote before he died, which is mm -hmm. the history of how he became married to this awful shrewish woman. <laughs> and why? The frog pool wanted a king. Jove sent them old King Log. I have been as deaf and blind and wooden as a log. My chief fault, I have been too benevolent. I repaired the ruin my predecessors spread. I reconciled Rome and the world to monarchy again. By dulling the blade of tyranny, I fell into great error. By sharpening that blade, I might redeem that error. Violent disorders call for violent remedies. We flash back 
to the outer cardboard chamber, where once again it is a couch dinner, but this time it's only Pallas and Narcissus and Claudius, plus a belly dancer. And uh, Claudius is just <laughs> It's a staring. real bachelor, bachelor's night at the palace. <laughs> really? It is. Oh, and there's a drummer, too, who is the belly dancer's husband, we later learn, yeah. through, a, through a snarky exchange between Palace and Narcissus, <laughs> uh, the, the, that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the ancient Roman Empire. <laughs> they are really pushing for their show, Palace right. and Narcissus. And uh, Claudius is staring into the middle distance, drunk out of his mind, you realize, and just and just saying to himself in his head, the frog pool wanted a king, Jove sent them old King Log. I have been as deaf and blind, as wooden as a log. Let all the poisons that lurk in the mud hatch out. That's one of the great lines from my Claudius. Uh, and, it, and it remains great, even though it is repeated about 35 times in this episode. <laughs> Let all the poisons that lurk in the mud hatch out. Now, while he's just sort of like staring into space, Narcissus and Pallas start bickering with each other. They want they want uh, Claudius to marry again. And they've got two very distinct women that they want to recommend to him. Narcissus uh, wants to recommend Lalia Paulina. Uh, and uh, Pallas says, are you mad? She's a dum-dum. And he said, no, she's great. But Palace has a different idea. How about a wife capable of helping him rule? A wife with intelligence. How about Lady Agrippinilla? Which is a controversial choice, because why? <laughs> well, because she is Claudius's niece. Yeah. She's one of the sisters of Caligula, who uh, was exiled from Rome by Caligula, and that's why she survived the whole uh, killing of everybody. Uh, so oh, this I didn't would know be... that part. Yeah, that, it's, uh, that's that's not in the show, but that's, that's what I read. That's why, like... She's she's still around, basically. Right. But, I uh, mean, these these are people that we have never seen or heard from before. So ever. But to... even when it, when, she, when he mentions Lalia Polina, I was like, is that someone I've seen before? No, it's not. And in looking her up, I learned that apparently uh, Agrippinilla, still su- suspecting that Lalia Polina was a threat to her late years later, accused Lalia of black magic, and she was had all her property taken away from her, and she committed suicide. So don't worry about that character; she's not coming in. <laughs> okay. But fine. Uh, but that this is they're saying basically. Pallas is like, oh yeah, Claudius should marry his niece, and Narcissus is like, that would be incestuous. That's terrible. We can't have that. Right, and then and then Pallas says, you may consider our friendship at an end from this moment, at an end. <laughs> and Narcissus goes to Claudius and says, please, please don't marry your niece. The gods would be so angry if you did that. And and uh, Claudius kind of comes out of his stupor and goes, let all the poisons that lurk in the mud hatch out. And they're like, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll marry my niece. Fine. <laughs> and it's and it's at that point that he has made the decision he's going to keep making throughout the episode, which is like, I want to burn this place down. I'll do all the bad stuff. Yeah, just exactly. To, just to make it happen. Yeah. He's, uh, so, he's so disillusioned at this point about what what Rome could be versus what Rome actually is. And so disillusioned about... And, and he, ta- he talks about it in voiceover at the beginning of this episode. It's like, I... I wanted to end the monarchy, but by being a good ruler, I've only made it last longer and have people become more and more dependent on the idea of monarchy. I hate myself. I hate Rome. Let all the let all the poison that lurk in the mud hatch out, which is basically his way of saying, let's burn this fucker down. I'll make every worst decision I can, it seems like, at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... I want to say like this old uh, idea of old King Long. That was something I was not familiar with. Yeah, me neither. Uh, that it's apparently it comes from a uh, 
one of the stories that would is in Aesop's fable, I guess, but that goes back to ancient Greece about uh, some frogs who demand who wanted Zeus to give them a king, and first he sent them a log, and they were scared by it by the splash it made, and then they noticed that it wasn't moving, and they made fun of it, and then the frogs asked for a real king, and they and uh, Zeus sent them a, a snake that eats them. Whoops. So it's like, oh, maybe you don't want a king, huh? But it's it's it shows you, uh, I guess, the depth of the literary stuff of this. That I was like, old King Long. I guess that's some metaphor that uh, that that Pullman came up with. No, it's a, that I that is a real thing. It's a Aesop, yeah, I, it's a Aesop fable there. Yeah, yeah. I, I had not been familiar with it. No, I me, me neither. Till you said it, but I'm just backing you up. <laughs> I appreciate it. But uh, so Claudius. I'm tr- now I'm life. trying in my head to tie it back to that snake that crawls over the mosaic tile portrait of Iconius. Oh, Claudius yeah. I didn't even think about that. Right? Yeah. Hmm. That, that the, the desire for someone to rule over you and make your decisions for you, I guess, is a snake that you clasp to your bosom and it eventually kills you. Right. And Claudius is very much Old King Log at the beginning of this episode because he's basically silent and immobile and, yeah. and, and drunk and angry and sullen and nihilistic and he just doesn't speak until finally he just goes yeah you know what good idea let me marry my niece and and Pallas is like hooray and Narcissus is like what and we <laughs> soon learn why Pallas is like hooray because he immediately goes over uh to the to the new the new palace I think it's the same set where Messalina used to hang out but now it's Agrippinilla is hanging out there and we see her there Barbara Young smelling her wrist for some reason and Pallas enters. She and probably like, just put some some perfume on it. I guess so. I don't know. What does your history books tell you about that? <laughs> I mean, they wore perfume back then. Why did Roman <laughs> ladies smell their wrists when they didn't know I mean, they well, were that, being but observed? That's th- but that's the thing women do now with with their is put perfume on their wrists and things like that. I don't know. My wife has never allowed me to see her wrists. Uh, well, that's to keep the mystery <laughs> in the marriage. When, but for your seventieth birthday, I think that's what you'll get. Well, tomorrow, you mean? All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it turns out Pallas is very excited because he is, you know, it was so clear and obvious, and especially to Narcissus, who was made so mad by it, that he was pushing, he was pushing Agrippinilla as a bride to Claudius for, uh, for some kind of secret reason. And the secret reason is that he and Agrippinilla are lovers and that if he makes, if he uh, uh, gets her into the royal family again and gets her son into the royal family and affords her power within the governing of Rome that he will get, I don't know what, more more money, more a, a better price on corn. Who knows what Pallas' angle <laughs> so is on this one? It's just, just you know that that general sort of power. I feel power and uh, who knows. Maybe he thinks he'll be emperor someday. I don't know. They all everyone seems is is constantly scheming for for something. Pallas but, uh, was it, always the pragmatist, and Narcissus yes. was always the idealist. That's why they're the goofus and gallant of this thing. I think you pointed out a couple episodes ago. <laughs> and uh, and Pallas is, but here he is. He is taken away by his passion for Agrippinilla too. Yeah, she, he is. He is totally in her thrall, and uh, all and all she has to do is bite his lip, and he's like, whoa, 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 yeah. awooga. Because he is that line. He's like, I re- I regret. I think I will regret letting you marry the emperor. Uh, but my ambition is is greater than my passion. But right now, my regrets are mounting. <laughs> one of the weirdest double entendres. And so you know, it's amazing how I I don't know. I don't like to comment on people's appearance, but Bernard Hepton is a weird looking old man in this moment. <laughs> You know what I mean? And it's like, like how do I how do I say this tactfully? 
<laughs> he's an older actor and, and 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 not classically handsome either. And yet, man, is he sexy in this minute. It's an expression of two things. One, the power of acting. And two, the reminder that particularly in the 1970s and always in Britain, like you could see, you saw real human beings on the screen. They didn't all have to be beautiful Australian people pretending to be American. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, no, exactly. Like, that, yeah. It's We're living like, in a time now where everyone on TV and the movies is ridiculously attractive and also a certain amount of rich in the stories that get told. But like the, yeah. uh, there was a time when you could see movies and TV shows where it was like, oh, this looks like someone that I could know. Right. You know. Right. But he also, but I would say also that it's the power of acting in that like he, you, you really get the sense he is feeling real overwhelming passion. Yeah. In this moment. Like he really is so like fired up. Yeah. Uh, by, by being with her and, and wanting her and all that. So it like, it really communicates. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't like either of these people, these <laughs> horrible characters that they're embodying. And the last thing I want to see them do is, is twist tongues, but it's a, it's a hot and heavy scene. So good for I would, them. I would say hotter than some, than, uh, than the orgy scenes or any of those things that you would think would be sexual because it feels so intimate. Yeah, it really does. And, 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 and real and human. Yeah. Well, anyway, they kiss (laughs) (laughs) and, and, and they do, and they do more, uh, but rather than show them doing it, uh, Herbert Wise pans up to a picture of, I don't know, Venus or something on the, on the ceiling or whatever (laughs) in a rare act of modesty in this show. (laughs) And we cut over to the inner cardboard chamber in the palace, Claudius's office, uh, where uh, Claudius is sitting there, old King Log, just mumbling to himself. And uh, Agrippinilla, having just done it with Pallas, comes over and goes, uh, Uncle, Pallas tells me you want to marry me. And he goes, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and she goes, well, she gets down on her knees and puts her hand in the lap because you've made me the happiest woman on earth and Claudius is like yeah I know I know what you want I know who you are I know what you want let all the poisons that lurk in the mud hatch out let's burn this fucker down she's like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna have sex with you just like I had sex with Pallas I'm gonna have babies with you and she's flattering him you're like uh, uh, your your flesh is firm and he's like uh you know what don't touch me he's <laughs> <laughs> just like uh, he gently removes her hands from his lap and he's like i think you're weird i <laughs> you were you are your own brother's lover you love incest so much and she's like how dare you and he's like i'm marrying you for your head my dear not your heart of which i suspect you have very little it's, it's amazing how like agrippinella barbara young just flips in here she's like oh okay fine good i actually I, uh you're ugly I wouldn't, <laughs> I don't want to be your lover anyway. I wouldn't dream of loving you. And Claudia's like, I wouldn't dream of what your dreams are because they would make me throw up. Just help me rule. It's like, look, we're getting married. We don't have to like each other. I just need someone else's brain around here. And Agrippinilla knows immediately, right? That, uh, that there's something weird about this. That, that it's Cla- just too easy. It's, it's too, too easy. She, yeah. She's gotten everything she's gotten so far through being sexy and seductive and men probably saying like no 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 i can't and her breaking their resistance now so for her to be like oh let me tell you what we'll do and he's like i don't care don't do it just be the queen or whatever rule the whole place i don't care just be be evil whatever yeah. i mean when <laughs> it's, she when it's she very lo- off-putting yeah when she looks back like you know she has to have seen the earlier episodes of this miniseries right she knows that she's the the third misogynistic shrewish woman to come along after L- livia 
uh, and, and, and after Messalina, who both had to work for years to get the things that they wanted. Yeah. She's like the day one, Claudius is like, I know you're a monster. You're, you, 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 you did it with your own brother, Caligula. I know that you're power mad. I know that you want me to adopt your son and make him emperor. Fine. Whatever. Let all the poisons in the mud hatch out. And she's like, what does that mean? And he goes, isn't it obvious? She goes, no one knows what that means. <laughs> what poisons are in the mud? And why are they hatching? Are they eggs? Poison eggs? What are you talking about? <laughs> Poison doesn't hatch? Like what? I don't understand. So we cut back to Agrippinilla and Pallas. And, she's, and she says to Pallas, what is going on? Why is this so easy? <laughs> she's like, am I being punked? Where's Ashton? Yeah, Ashton, right. are you behind that tapestry? She's like, what? When you suggested that we marry Pallas, what did Claudia say? And Pallas is like, I don't know, something about poisons and hatching. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He'll be dead soon. <laughs> and and Agrippinella goes, not till my son is of age. The poison in her mud is very clear. She wants her son to become emperor, just like all yeah. like all mommies do. Apparently, all all moms what they, what they want most is for their son to become emperor of Rome. It's as true today as it was then. Sure. And whenever there's that moment when you grow up and you talk to your mother and you see that look in her eyes of disappointment and it's like, oh, it's because I'm not emperor of Rome. And you just know that that's what she wanted for you and you just couldn't make it work. I but know. every now and then you get to be a boy like Nero and you look in your mom's eyes and she's like, yes, you did it. I'm so proud of you. Now I'm going to try to rule over you. Oh, I hate you now. She goes, yes, you did it. I'm so proud of you. And let mommy reward you with incest. Oh, oh, that's a little bit later. Yeah, let's do it. let's take a break before we jump ahead to the grossest part. <laughs> iPodius is brought to you by you, our Maximum Fun members. We say it all the time. We love you. But we're also very excited and happy to be working with Acorn TV. For one reason, Acorn TV has every episode of I, Claudius on its streaming service, which means you can go and watch I, Claudius and listen to the podcast. And guess what? Maybe this is the first episode of iPodius that you've listened to. Maybe you don't, you, just, you, you, you never even thought to watch I, Claudius. Maybe you don't know where to get it. Maybe you don't, you, maybe you're confused. Well, be confused no longer because in a moment, we're going to tell you about a special offer for I, Claudius listeners to get a free extended 30-day trial of Acorn TV, which will allow you to watch all of those episodes of I, Claudius, and so much more. Like what, Elliot? Like everything. Mysteries, thrillers, police procedurals, pro police mysteries, police thrillers. I'm kidding. They, they make a lot of police shows in England. Also, comedy shows, drama shows, documentary shows. The fact is, Acorn TV is your greatest streaming destination for the most critically acclaimed shows from Britain, Australia, Ireland, around the world. They're all in this one place. No longer do you have to go to those countries and then buy a TV, pay the television license, and then watch those shows. You can just use this and it saves you so much money on airplane tickets and television licenses. Yeah, so many of these shows you used to have to actually travel to England to see, but now the travel is no longer an option. Sit down and enjoy Acorn TV. Plus, by the way, one thing about uh, 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 Britain, uh, Ireland, Australia, and beyond, these people know how to act. That's why you know these actors. They're the most famous actors in the world. Sandra Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Olivia Colman. Look, have you seen a Marvel movie? Then <laughs> you've seen people who are all over Acorn TV. Toby Jones. Elliot, you know how much I love Toby Jones, the actor. 
He is one of your favorites, if not your favorite. He's your favorite Toby and your favorite Jones. That's right. Also known as Arnim Zola, everyone's favorite character from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Co-stars with one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Absolute destination viewing uh, for, for this time in our history, Detectorists. Surely, surely the most calming show I've ever seen featuring some of the greatest small smile character acting by Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones, among many others, including Diana Rigg. But Toby Jones is not merely on Detectorist. You want to, you get, you, do you have a Jones for Jones like me? Get, get over to Acorn TV because you got Toby Jones in uh, The Secret Agent, uh, a, a BBC adaptation of Joseph Conrad's timeless novel. You also got Toby Jones in Marvelous with two L's, if you please, because it is written. <laughs> Which is a wonderful, which is a wonderful character drama starring Toby Jones, aka Arnim Zola, aka my favorite guy in the world, aside from you, of course, Elliot. So, oh, thank you. What should people do if they want to enjoy this incredible, iPodius listener only thirty day extended free trial on Acorn TV, Elliot? It's very easy. All you have to do is go to www.acorn.tv. Just visit it. Visit www.acorn.tv. You don't have to stay there forever. Or download the Acorn TV app on your favorite device and use the code PODIUS, just like in the title of this show, for an extended 30-day free trial. That's acorn.tv, code PODIUS. Acorn TV It's world-class TV from Britain and beyond. Use the code Podius, I think is what he's saying. Acorn.tv, code Podius. Enjoy. We'll talk more now. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hi, I'm Lori Kilmartin. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Who are you, Lori Kilmartin? Oh, my God. So much pressure. Uh, I'm a stand-up. I've been doing stand-up since 1987. Uh, I'm a writer for Conan. I've written a couple books, have a couple CDs out, have a special out. Who are you, Jackie? Well, I, too, am a stand-up comic since 1984. And uh, I do the road like a maniac and uh, don't have a cool writing job, but I have four albums out working on a new album. We talk about stand-up. We talk about uh, all the different parts of stand-up comedy. So that's the Jackie and Lori show, and you should subscribe on Maximum Fun if you want to hear that. (laughs) And I would encourage you not to. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to iPodius. Did you did you keep listening because you want to hear about the the mommy Nero love? Well, you have to wait. Doesn't <laughs> it's not the yet. next scene. Yeah, next we get to meet. Uh, oh, maybe the most intriguing visual appearance of any character in the series. <laughs> we cut to the Senate. Claudius is sitting up there addressing the Senate. He's like seven years ago. I started to conquer Britain. We finally got it done. Britain offers no more resistance. The only person who was resisting us was this dude, Caractacus, son of Cymbeline, <laughs> brother-in-law of Chagogamagalog. <laughs> this is, this is a, anyway. and, uh, and here he comes now. 
And this guy could not look more like Guy Fieri. He's like if Guy Fieri was doing Hulk Hogan's job. Like that's what he looks like to me. He's got spiky silver hair. <laughs> spiky silver mustache and little chin beard. And unlike all of the people, uh, his family... Uh, and servants, Caractacus's family and servants who, who kneel before Claudius. Caractacus does not kneel before Claudius, and instead he gives a speech saying, I'll tell you this. If the sword is all that you're prepared to show us Britons, then be prepared to carry it forever in your hand. Then sleep with it forever by your side at night, for you will need it. Somehow, weirdly, the Senate is like, that's a good speech. <laughs> well, no, they're, they're so, uh, I mean, there's still something about him that kind of speaks to what the Romans believe that they are, even though they clearly aren't. That kind of like nobility, everyone around, everyone in the Senate, everyone in the show right. has surrendered to corruption and lost their ideals. And this is correct because being like, yeah, I'll never give in. I, Britain will always, even no matter how long you rule Britain, you better do so watching your back because we'll never give up. It's a little bit of like pro-British, like yeah, we're yeah, the it's best. Yeah, it's a little propaganda too. But they, it's but this BBC is a propaganda. this is a, a real moment of uh, you know hi- history legend at least. This speech that Caractacus gave before Claudius, saying like, uh, look, if I had everything. I'd still be at you, and I'm still going to. Uh, we don't want to be slaves, and it's just only because you forced us, all that kind of stuff. And they're really impressed by it. They're like, oh, this this noble British savage. Oh, he's so great. And it probably doesn't hurt that he looks like his hair is made out of either silver or frosting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he's some kind of mythic figure. No one would no one would have caught the Guy Fieri reference in this. Do you think Guy Fieri watched this and is like, that's how I'm going to look? Maybe. I mean, the other thing is, it's very Guy Fieri for him to walk into someone else's place of business and tell them how to do what they're doing already. <laughs> it's like, oh, Roman Senate, here's how you should be fighting the British. <laughs> well, in any case, he gets a standing O from the Roman Senate, and Claudius explains that he, that they don't kill him, the Senate. In fact, they give him a pension. Not just that they let him live, right? But they let him live in Rome <laughs> with his family, and they give him a, like a, an income. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, all of a sudden, it's like, uh, it's Andrew Yang up in here. Basic income for Caractacus. Pretty incredible. <laughs> I guess so. And, uh, and of course, this scene is extra important because Caractacus pay- plays a vital role in the rest of the episode, right? And by vital role, you mean he never appears again. <laughs> He's mentioned in passing as part of an off-screen scheme of Claudius's that does not actually come to fruition. But we'll get to that in a moment. It, it, does, it does feel like th- this is the scene where they were like... We got to earn our BBC money. Why is this? Why is this relevant to British people? Okay, we'll show how great <laughs> British people were back then. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway, it's true. It, what it happened though? That's yeah, but it did happen. I mean, yeah. it was a real thing. Right. So then we cut to uh, Agrippinilla and Nero uh, back in the present day, reading the scroll, having killed Claudius. And in the scroll, Claudius is like, uh, you know, Agrippinilla is loathsome. Nero, is, it does have something about Nero in there. It's, Claudius says he's slimy. <laughs> he explains that he knows all about their schemes. He, you know, before his death, he knew all about their schemes. But what they didn't know was he had his own schemes. Now we cut to Nero fiddling on the lyre. Yep, he's because there's a bunch of heavy-handed kind of like the same way that when Caligula was was at the wedding, he was like, "Here's my horse." Wink. There's a bunch, a couple of Nero moments here where it's like, "Here's a little Easter egg for all the Nero heads out there." 
Right. We're in the outer cardboard chamber where it's another couch dinner, but this time it's the new I, Claudius family sitcom dinner. I, Claudius and his new wife, Agrippinilla, plus Claudius's own children, Octavia and Britannicus. <laughs> and this weird, this weird baby Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> You know, with flowers in his hair. I mean, with, they, I guess all the kids have flowers in their hair. They but. all have flowers in their hair, but I feel like Nero's got them dripping all over him. Oh yeah, as, as, he, it, as he plucks it, at a liar, <laughs> he's like got he's got five rings on every finger. Like <laughs> this is such a like Uncle Buck type scenario where it's like, okay, kind of normal family. Here comes the weird relative. He's gonna live with us for a little bit, right? And what we don't realize is that Nero is getting not only all the love from Agrippinilla, because obviously she's an evil stepmother who don't, doesn't care if Britannicus or Octavia lives or dies. In fact, she probably wants them both to die because they stand in the way of Nero becoming emperor. But also, Claudius is kind of into Nero too, or at least he refuses to defend Britannicus once he and Nero get into a fight. Yeah, and Nero is, is a weird <laughs> is a weird kid, and Britannicus is, snotty, is a snobby kid. But yeah. they, they both, uh, apparently, Nero was always just like a little bit older than Britannicus, and so on public occasions, Nero could wear slightly more grown-up clothes, and he always looked a little bit more imperial than Britannicus, yeah, he, who was dressed like a little boy. You could get those extra flowers and rings to wear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> those grown-up manly flowers and rings. <laughs> so Agrippinilla is saying to Claudius, tell your son Britannicus to apologize to Nero, and Claudius is like, yeah, you know what, son, do it. I don't care. <laughs> Claudius is being, he's so bad to his son. Like, it's painful. And to, and it's it really, yeah. It, and the, uh, it's like if, it's like Hamlet pretending to be crazy, except he didn't tell anybody. Like, hey, whatever I say and do, just know this is part of the plan. Claudius didn't tell anybody that, so he's just mean to his son. And right. like, really lovey-dovey toward, or not lovey-dovey, but very supportive of Nero. <laughs> Yeah, and you know this drives Narcissus crazy, as we'll see in a scene to come. This drives obviously his own son. It's very painful to his son that his that his father doesn't seem to love him or care about him. Mm-hmm. And it's and even though we know from it's it, it's interesting writing because even though we know from the scroll that Agrippinilla and Nero read later that that Claudius claims to have his own scheme, it's hard to watch him be an asshole. We've we've spent so much. So many hours now, we spent so many hours now investing in Claudius as a as a good guy, and to see him be a real jerk to his own son, it's it's painful to watch. Yeah, and, and he, to, know, and, to, to and when he's doing it, it, we're not fully aware of what we know. He's got something in this thing of burning everything down in mind. But like the, uh, it's it would be one thing if it was like, oh, power corrupted him, and now he loves life but he's abusing it like the way he was with messalina it was like oh he's doing he's bad things are happening but it's because he's so you know blinded by love and it's like that's a little easier to take than him just being nasty to his son out of this sense of like who cares well, right because even, even though he was blinded by love and slowly and slowly sort of being blinded also by by power and and being sort of intoxicated by having power for the first time you were rooting for him because you wanted him to be happy and you knew that he was you know he was really getting that winter harbor built yeah, <laughs> but now he's just a now he's just a mean fuck. Sorry, sorry, kids who refuse to listen to my warning, and are still listening to this. So near, so Britann- Britannicus is like, you never loved me as father. What do you? And he's like, you apologize or be punished. And Britannicus is like, how are you going to punish me? You're going to kill me like you killed my mom. Bye. It's like, wow, yeah, that's rough. And then Nero gets up. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry that I was the cause of any disruption. <laughs> let me let me take Octavia and we'll flounce out together and say nai nai to my dear stepbrother. 
such a, <laughs> such a weird. And as, fla- as he flounces out with Octavia, Agrippinella like sidles up to Claudius. She's ready to de- she's ready to deploy her deploy her machinations. She goes, "Haven't you noticed how much Nero and Octavia like each other?" And Claudius is like, "Yeah, okay, but they should get married." <laughs> she's like, "That's." What do you? That's what I was about to talk. I was going to gently talk you into. He's like, no, no, fuck it. Let all the poison in the mud fuck off. <laughs> He's like, you know what? And uh, I'll, I know you're going to ask me to adopt Nero and right. make him co-heir. Yeah, sure. Ha- yeah. Married. And she's like, let me ask you first. What is your problem? <laughs> no, no, it's good. Get, let's get, let him get married. I'll adopt him. I'll make him the emperor's heir. You know, poison mud, fuck, etc. Happy now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and that. <laughs> And uh, and then and then she's like, "What is going on?" And Claudius tries to get up. And this is the other thing that's painful to watch too, because you know he's not in a good. No matter what scheme he's working on here, and no matter what pleasure you take in watching him wind her this obviously evil character up, and disappointing her, he's also drunk all out of his mind. Yeah, and plays it. I mean, very realistically, as a person who has very little control over their body, there's this is one moment where he's like leaning forward at the waist and he's like i can read your mind agrippinilla doesn't that save time for both of us has so such a disturbing look and then he falls over and it is not fun no it's not a funny fall over he's not a funny drunk there's there's, no it's tragic yeah it's really it's very you're seeing someone destroying themselves and destroying everyone around them on purpose and it's like do you think he has to he's is he drinking because he is so so upset or is he drinking partly to make sure he has the courage to go through with this scheme? Like, does he have to be drunk to continue being mean to his son and, and giving into all this stuff? I think that the, I think that the nihilism and the self-destruction here are real. I I think it would, I I don't, I don't think it would play as, I mean, in the next scene, and we're going to cut to the inner cardboard chamber in a moment where we start to get a sense of what Claudius is playing at here. And it's a little bit redemptive. But I don't. I don't think it would be as powerful if this whole this whole thing, this whole ass drunken nihilist, horrible father, um, jerk act were like just a disguise that he was wearing. Do you yeah. Know what no, I mean? he's he's feeling this. Yeah. yeah. It feel, it's it's not. He's not like a, a, a Bruce Wayne, the drunken playboy. But there's Batman behind it all the time. I think it's like it's all mixed together. He's he's Bruce Wayne, the playboy who is legitimately drinking because he never he's grieving for his parents years later and yeah. then gets drunk and puts on a mask and beats guys up. And also and also knows that no matter how many times he, he no matter how many people he beats up, crime is still there. Like it never stops. Yeah, it never goes away. And his parents never come back. Right. Bat- Bruce Wayne, he's a lot like the uh, the the he's like those billionaires who think they can change the world, but they really can't. And they're just looking for their parents love in the end. Sad, really. Anyway, uh, make Gotham great again, Bruce Wayne, Batman, and so forth. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, DC Comics, uh, also known as 600 Comics. <laughs> Why don't you commission a Batman series from Elliot Kalen? He's written comics before, right? You write what? I have. How I've written com- for Marvel. How- You've written for I've Marvel? Ri- I've, written for, I've written a number of books for Marvel. I wrote a short story for DC a while back for uh, an American vampire anthology book. Um but I've never I've never worked with any of the major DC players, so I guess give me a Batman book, yeah, where he where, where I can present him in the worst possible light. Now is where Claudius reveals his master 
plan to Narcissus. They're in the inner cardboard chamber. Narcissus, uh, Nero is now married to Octavia. Uh, Claudius is about to, or has already named Nero as the imperial heir. And Narcissus is like tearing what little hair he has out of his head going. Can't you see what you've done? By marrying Nero to your daughter and adopting him as your son, you've signed your death warrant. That's what you've done. Your wife has got everything she wanted out of marrying you. Everything. She doesn't need you anymore. I, mean, I shall die soon anyway. How do you know? Barbulus told me. Barbulus? He read my horoscope. You didn't need him to read your horoscope. By your own actions, you've numbered your days more accurately than any horoscope could do. And Claudius's master plan is... There was nothing else I could do because it was all prophesied by the Sybil. Right? Yeah. And and Narcissus is like, um... <laughs> right. Claudius goes and gets a, gets a secret scroll. <laughs> and he said, my grandmother, Livia, gave this to me at her breakfast brunch. No one's ever seen it before except for me. And you can't read it. In fact, you're reading it upside down, dummy. I love that moment. Nurses is like, what does this even say? He's like, it's an ancient dialect. Here, let me turn it over for you. Like, check out this scroll. The Sybil prophesied that Nero is to rule after me, just as it prophesied that Caligula would die and I would rule after Caligula. Sybil also told me that Nero is going to kill Agrippinilla, so there's no reason for me to do it. I mean, there's nothing I, there's nothing I can do. Time is a flat circle. It is written. We can change nothing. Effort is pointless. I mean, it's true nihilism at this point. Yeah, and, and Narcissus, played by John Cater, is like, look, I was in Zed cars. There's always something that we can do. You can't stop Zed cars? <laughs> the Sybil said every British actor will appear in Zed cars at some point, that you can't stop it. It is, it's like one of those moments that uh, watching it, I was like, I wonder how the Narcissus of historical reality, because he was a real person who did who did these things, how... Uh, how how he would have taken to being told, oh, this is all according to a prophecy, because they felt differently about prophecies back then than we do now. But there is something crazy about uh, the ruler of your country that you work for being like, no, 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 it's all foretold. There's nothing I can do about it. I just got to make it happen. Yeah, right. Exactly. I guess I got to I got to do my part to help the prophecy come true. Well, in any case, whatever Narcissus thinks about this, he seems he seems to be uh, mollified at least by the fact that. Claudius does say, well, but I do have a plan. Even though we can't affect these things that are in the prophecy, there's the good news is this. I've always wanted the Republic restored, but I became an emperor and my mistake was to be a good one. But now Nero, who is a creepy, slimy weird, is going to fuck things up, literally royally. And all... <laughs> And then all monarchy will be over, and Britannicus, with your help, Narcissus, will restore the Republic. And Narcissus is like, all right, cool, how? And Claudius is like, I'll tell you later. <laughs> uh, uh, even in this moment, like it is good that we have this glimmer of hope from Claudius, that there is some method to his madness. Um, but it is ambiguous whether the method is truly method or just more madness. Like, yeah, he's got this idea that finally the Republic will be restored. And, and all he's got to do is, is make it first. He's got to make the worst guy emperor, but it's like, Claudius, you saw that happen already. Yeah. I mean, it, the, it didn't he, work the day, the day that his grandmother gave him this special scroll at breakfast brunch. <laughs> They were talking about how Tiberius was going to name Caligula emperor because Tiberius wanted to be loved and he knew that Caligula would be the worst possible person to be emperor. 
So he's already seen this thing not work out. And he's already seen situations where once the once the worst emperor is finally deposed by people who can't take it anymore, it, it, in no way does Rome finally go, yeah, let's uh, magically say, yeah, let's make a republic again. Like, no, they they fill that vacuum of everyday life with another emperor. That's what happens. Yeah. So there's something a little bit sad and out of touch with Claudius here. And it, and it becomes very clear later on in a heartbreaking scene that we'll talk about when we get to it. But for now, we cut back to the new palace. Agrippinilla is saying to Pallas, um, can we just kill him now? Can we kill Claudius? And he's like, um, yeah, I guess it's probably time now that Nero has been named heir. We should probably kill him. I know just the woman to poison him, Locasta. It's going to be pretty tricky, but uh, uh, we can probably get him dead. And Agrippinilla is still like, um, what is the game that Claudius is playing? <laughs> I, I feel like this is such, this feels like such real psychology to me that instead of getting everything she wants easily and being like, oh, great, great, wonderful, that she is so so thrown off by it. Right. It, it makes her so suspicious because she's like, he should be, I am asking him to do crazy things. Yeah, right. I'm asking him to name my weirdo Pugsley of a son heir, and I'm asking <laughs> him to marry this weirdo son to his daughter. He should be saying, no, what is it going on with him? Like it is, she is so rationally suspicious, suspicious yeah. of him. Because she's seen the, she's seen the 11 episodes that came before this in one way or another. <laughs> And as she points out, she's like, I, I was, I watched as Sejanus was raised up and up and higher in rank by Tiberius until, you know, it, and until he was struck down. Like, it seems like by accepting favor, we are getting our own death warrants written. But Palace is like, eh, whatever, you know, it's cool. So he leaves. <laughs> He's like, look, just keep them kisses coming. We'll be, we'll make this happen. Yeah, that's right. But speaking about kisses and coming, next, oh boy, next moment. <laughs> Like that? Do you like that hard R transition? Yeah, it's very hard R. Yeah, people don't expect this from John Hodgman. Is, no, you you are earning your explicit advisory label for this yeah. podcast. Because yeah. here comes Nero with his nose and a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> it's a, it's the one one thing that is that is too bad about Nero is that uh, there is a sense that his like kind of effeminacy is being coded as sinister evil as it often was sure. at, uh, in media at the time. And whereas Caligula had some of that, but he was so strange that yes. it was like, you are singular Caligula. You're just here. It does feel a little bit at times like it's, there's part of it, like, well, it verges on a, on hom- homophobia. Yeah. Or, or even just, I was thinking like, well, I was a sensitive young boy who liked music and flowers. Like I'm not evil. It, it verges on. Yeah, exactly. That kind of a demonization of, uh, of the other in that way. And but also, he's so real. He is very weird, really. He, he he's 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 very weird, and he's he's kind of tip. He's like a Looney Tunes character. <laughs> yes, I guess maybe that's it. Is he's one of the when I was saying early in earlier episodes that every character gets kind of their moment of humanity. Nero doesn't really get that. Like, he's, yeah, it's like he is like you would expect him to tiptoe into a room and hear like do 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 do. <laughs> and then like he'd get scared and he'd jump in the air and his his feet would spin and you hear bongo noises like. Speaking of problematic, he co- he comes tiptoeing in, boop, 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 with his flowers, casts some aspersions against Pallas. I don't like that Greek. I don't like him hanging around here. I hope he's not kissing you, mommy. And and he is upset because Octavia has locked him out of his room. And uh, Agrippinilla goes, that was very unfair of Octavia to lock you out. Do you want me to find you someone to have h- hugging and kissing with? And he's like, I don't know, mommy. She goes, well, maybe mommy should hug and kiss you. And then she does. So 
intensely weird. <laughs> it is somehow not even in a show that has already had incest in it. This was I was still shocked by this and like, uh. <laughs> yeah, I was sh- it was shocking and played. I mean, I think that the, I think that the, the reason that it was so shocking, aside from the fact that Barbara Young does some really, really creepy moves here, like when she mm-hmm. leans in as though she were going to kiss him full on the mouth and then at the very last second you know moves aside and just sort of kisses his cheek but still in an overly intimate way yeah and and then pulls back but then moves forward and says things like a mother knows how her baby feels she's really playing it like i'm going to keep you guessing as to where whether we're actually going to go as far as this yes there's a there's a there's a strange kind of like overt subtlety going on she's like this is it's very obvious what's going on here or is it Right. And I'm gonna. And she's what she's doing is really like intricate. There's a lot, like you're saying. There's a lot of little moves. It's really yeah. impressive. And when she and then, but once she starts sort of nibbling on his fingers, it's <laughs> basically all over. And she lies back, and you feel Nero in this moment. I don't know if resist, but hesitate. Like he, he, she's lying back in in a very seductive pose, and then finally his multi beringed fingered hand just sort of like reaches out with him, not even looking at her, reaches out and, and touches her body. And then it's irresistible to him and he has to, and he goes in and you don't see anything. You just see his lumbering big shoulders sort of cover her. But that, that hesitancy, that, uh, that indication that it had happened before that maybe he knew that it was wrong, but he couldn't help it, that she needed to seduce him for, it was a very, very psychosexually intense scene and difficult to watch for sure yeah these two these two moments with barbara young this one and the scene with palace there's a kind of there's a sexual intensity to them that uh, the only thing i can think of that matches it is the scene with lavilla and sejanus where they're talking and they have their love scene and it's just there's the characters are just so intensely in this moment of uh of thick sexual tension that like it's almost unbearable it's it's like a it's a real like like we're like we're saying about like it's an, it's an achievement to make to create that and uh, have that thing, but it's gross here. Yeah, it's, no, I don't want to compare these so two much scenes. I mean, the discomfort for me in the in the Sejanus Lavilla uh, intimate scenes was like it's hard to see Captain Picard get all sexy. Uh, you know that <laughs> that's not that's not. I want I want I want my starship daddy to <laughs> to be benign and sexless. I don't want to be yeah, kissing, yeah, like kissing magenta. You know. This it's with each of these scenes for me. I guess what ties them together is this feeling of like a discomfort on my part that I'm watching something so intimate and private. Uh, whereas with a lot of the other sexier scenes, they're done. There's just not. I feel like none of the Messalina scenes with her and like Minester or anything are like. Do I get that feeling of oh, this is something that should should only be behind closed doors, and I feel like I'm intruding on something I don't want to know about uh, while it's happening. I don't know. Maybe that's me being prudish. I don't know. Well, because this is this is child abuse. I mean, that's yeah. what this is, you know, and it's really hard. Um, and, you know, narratively, it pays off. What Claudia says to Agrippinilla at the beginning was like, you got you got into your brother's bed pretty quickly. She's like, we all did what we had to, to survive. And he's like, some, you know, during Caligula's reign. And he's like, some more willingly than others. And clearly, you know, the abuse that she suffered, uh, the incestuous abuse that she suffered at the hands of her older brother is now being visited on her son, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, it's rough. Do we know if this is based in any way in history or is this just pure Jack Pullman psychosexual imagination? I think there's I think there's rumor of it, but that it was a pretty common uh it sounds like it was a pretty common attack on a political rival uh, on a female political rival to say that they engaged in incest. Mm-hmm. So the it's something that I don't know how much actual basis there in is in it. it it's the uh it's I think it may be I can't remember if it shows up in the novel at all to mm-hmm. be honest or if it's invented for this. It's this is one of those things where it does feel uh like uh what's it? gratuitous to me in a way that the other scenes did not where it's like oh like there's a moment in the movie uh rambo the second to last of the john rambo series where <laughs> this bad guy who's this evil general in uh in burma he's killing villagers left and right and he's just horrible and then at uh one of his henchmen brings a young boy into his hut and we just see him like run his hand through the young boy's hair and then take him to the hut and it felt like yeah, I know he's evil. You didn't need to put that in there. Come on. That right. was like as if there was anyone still on the fence. And it almost feels like with this scene, they're like, look, just in case you still think Nero and Agrippinella are like, okay, let's make them, let's add this other thing, this other kind of like uh, taboo titillating thing in there. It's a, it's a really, if there's a scene where there's a lot of, uh, it's a, it's a real uncomfortable scene. And it's one in retrospect, I'm like, ah, I don't know if they really needed it. This yeah, I agree. Like, I, I kind of, I kind of feel like, Again, this is the, this is the last episode, and obviously the all the scripts were written. You know, they weren't they they weren't breaking these stories in real time in a writer's room. Jack Bowman sat down and wrote all the scripts at some point. Yes, it feels as though like I Claudius has gotten more and more and more and more nudie and and deep and dark and weird and like let's just push it as far as we can go in this last episode and it was maybe maybe gratuitous but not as gratuitous i would say as you feeling the need to actually see the movie rambo yeah we're coming to the end we're coming to the end and this is one of the here is one of the more surreal scenes right one of the more cinematic less staged play more more can only be done with film scenes as claudius barely out of old king log mode is staring down the Senate one more time and said, this is going to essentially be a farewell speech. You see me here for the last time. I shall not come again. This is in the nature of a farewell speech. I'm too old and I'm not well enough. I don't think you need my presence here anymore. I sometimes wonder if you ever did. You you know, the soldiers dragged me from behind the curtain and made me emperor. I ever wanted it. I think it was a mistake. Be that as it may. Soon I shall retire behind another curtain, the final one, the one the gods draw over all of us in the end, great and small. And uh, he goes, say what you will about me, but I've written a secret history. In the course of my life, I've known many great people, and one day they will all live again. The dead will come to life because I wrote it down. Rome will be seen for what she truly was. And he's talking about this book that he started writing in episode one. And then Nero and Agrippinilla are reading in the present day framing device of this episode. And he goes into a fugue state and he hears crowds. 
and his vision goes blurry and we alternate between his point of view as the whole Senate house goes blurry and the Senate and he can hear this cheering and the Senate's point of view where Derek Jacoby is just like, is he dead? <laughs> like he's just standing, staring there. <laughs> and in the, and Claudius's point of view, he starts to see uh, ghosts, the ghosts of the past, Livia, Caligula, Tiberius are all wandering around. And then uh, here comes good old Brian Blessed back, walks right into the Senate, young man and says, well done, Claudius, you've become emperor. Who would have thought of that? We'll talk more later. And they all have a chance to say uh, a, a few things to Claudius. Livia says, "You're a fool. You're a fool, and you always have been." And mm-hmm. then, and then she goes, "Scoff." <laughs> Antonia says, "Your nose is still running." Caligula is interrupted by Tiberius, saying, "It wasn't worth it, was it?" And Caligula says, "I wasn't the Messiah after all," which is a very funny <laughs> his, line. His his moment is very funny. He goes, he goes, it turns out I wasn't the Messiah after all. You could have knocked me over with a feather when they gave me the news or whatever. It is. It's like that the idea that he showed up in the afterlife and he was like, give me my heavenly crown. And they're like, no, you're not. And he's like, whoa, what? I mean. <laughs> he says it so, so realistic, matter of factly, but also yeah. in such a funny way. It's good to see all these people again. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a smile on Claudius's face. When he says, I have known some important and great people and I've, and they will live again. And when he goes into this hallucination and he sees all his old family members, even, even though one of them, one of them was a depraved pervert emperor who hated him. The other one was a depraved pervert emperor who hated him. The other one was his mother who hated him. The other one is his grandmother who hated him until the very last second. And the last one is Emperor Augustus, who still is pretty condescending to him. There's this there is this sense that Claudius has in the face that Jarek Jacoby uh, makes this happy face. And the sense that I felt, too, watching this, like I like seeing all our old friends again. I'm sorry that this is coming to an end. Yeah, there's a there's a feeling of like. Oh, we, these are all the people I experienced my life with, and even though many of them were crazy, like they're still they're a part of my life. You know, it's him, and in a strange way, him looking back at a happier time in his life, maybe because it would they all represent a time when he had had no he knew he was never going to be emperor, he knew he was always going to be in the shadows, and so he didn't have to grapple with these things that he's learned about himself that he now right. has. Right, like right. back then when I knew all these people, you were the monsters. And now I'm the monster, but I, it's nice to go back to when I, I was a good guy and you were bad. Yeah, right. That's true. Now that he has came out of the shadows and into the harsh light and he knows himself so well, he is ready to go into the shadows and into that poison mud and die. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he gets up and he's like, excuse me, excuse me, senators. Uh, sorry. Sorry. I went into that uh, terrifying fugue state for a moment. Uh, better now, but I've got, <laughs> I've got to slowly limp out of here in silence. <laughs> and walk and walk through this door behind which there is total darkness. It's a very striking scene as he leaves the Senate, and it's equally striking that as soon as he passes into the darkness of the of the exit of the Senate chamber, the senators are like, "All right, let's get back to business." Yeah, yeah. So we cut to the inner the inner cardboard chamber, and this is the moment where Narcissus has brought Britannicus in secret to Claudius in the middle of the night, so Claudius can reveal the big the big plan the big plan to restore the republic and britannicus 
is understandably not a fan of Emperor Claudius. Like, Claudius is like, sit down, I want to tell you something. And Britannia is like, uh, fuck you, dad. You killed my mom. You treated me like shit. You never loved me. And I will never forgive you. And Claudius is like, yeah. He, he chose the creepiest man in Rome to be your heir instead of me, your natural born son. Yeah. Like. And Claudius is like, you know what? Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> and then Claudius says something that is equally as emotionally candid and hard to hear, especially from a character that you love, which is, you're right, for a long time, I did not love you. Like, when I discovered that Messalina had tricked me every day of our marriage and deceived me, even though you are my, even even though, you, you know, you are my son, I could not love you because you reminded me of this betrayal. And what's more, I don't even think you are my son. I think you're Caligula's son. Uh, which I need to figure that out timeline-wise in a second. But then, you know, this is what Claudius is saying to his own son. Like, but, you know, even though you're not my son and I didn't love you for a long time, now I, I do like you. <laughs> and Britannicus is like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, it's not, I don't care who's, who, who my natural father was, if not you. You are, you are supposed to be my father. Like, I can, you can't blame me for who my parent might or might not have been. And he breaks down in tears. Yeah, and Claudius says, well, okay, now I love you the best. And you would think that, you know, for Britannicus, that's like, that's good. Okay, this is a good outcome for me. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> but Claudius is like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> not only do I love you, but Nero will become emperor. Sorry. Uh, and he will try to kill you. But Caractacus, remember him? Guy Fieri looking dude from England? He can protect you. I'm going to sneak you out of the city in the, in the company of Caractus's uh, family in disguise. And you will go to Britain beyond the reach of Rome. And there you will meet Chagogalog, <laughs> who will take you even further north in Britain. And you will hide there until finally Nero destroys the empire. And then you can return to restore the, to restore the Republic at last. This is great. Good, He's like, isn't that good great? Good talk, son. Yeah. <laughs> Now go get him, lad. <laughs> now go get in disguise. <laughs> and Britannicus is like, no. no Understandably, he's like, you. I don't want to live for years in a bog in hiding because <laughs> of this dumb know, plan but, of yours. <laughs> yeah, I got two arguments as to why this is stupid. One, it's not honorable. And he goes, do you think I, a Claudian, will paint my face blue and hide among bar barbarians? No. I'm going to put on my manly gown and take care of myself. I'll match Nero and everything he does. Argument number two. What the fuck are you talking about, <laughs> Dad? The Republic. I don't believe in the Republic. No one does. You're the only one left. You're out of touch. It's, it's a little on the nose for a son to say to the elderly father, you're out of touch, Dad. It, and that is the dialogue here. It is, but it's such a... I, but I like that it gets at uh, the idea that this is not just a... A personal thing. This is a generation gap thing. Like Britannicus yeah. has never right. known the Republic. Why? And he's never right. known anyone who did live during the Republic. He doesn't even have his parents' memories of the Republic. So, like, why should he care about this stuff? Like, this is the world he lives in, and he's he wants his chance to rule as an emperor because that's the world that he lives. In. It's like uh, that whenever you talk to somebody who like came of age in the '60s and they're like, "Yeah, man, well, young people aren't doing it the right way," and it's like, "Well, it's a totally different world." So, okay, boomer. He's basically saying to Claudius, "Okay, boomer." Nobody, yeah, he's nobody totally wants okay, that. Republic. Boomer and Claude. Yeah. 
And to his credit, though, I mean, Claudius sees this in this moment. And rather than fight uh, Britannicus further, it's not just resignation. It's like, you're right. I, uh, you have to do your own thing. And I should have known. So be it. And perhaps you will confound the prophecies. And Britannicus is like, thanks, Dad. And he feels good. And he walks off to go get his manly gown. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously very sad because, as you have already spoiled, dude gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the, uh, he's, Claudius is like, he knows that his son is dooming himself. And, but he's got to let him go his own way, I guess. But there's a, yeah. all of this, I mean, I don't know that any of this had any basis in, in reality. Uh, but it feels real. It feels like the natural endpoint for these characters, for Claudius especially, that he like even realizes in the end that he has no control over anything. Like this, giving like the more powerful he gets, the less control over his life he has, and the less understanding of the people around him. And finally, it's like, all right, well, that's the end of my dream. The show dramatizes a, a lot of you know, obviously, what goes on in human nature and and goes on. In, in the the ancient Rome of today, the political climate of today, where if you receive information that conforms to the narrative that you have been built in your mind by yourself or by others, you're going to likely believe it in the same way that when uh, uh, Messalina told uh, Appius Solanus that Claudius was as depraved and corrupt uh, as he believed all emperors to be. Mm -hmm. Even though there's no evidence of that, he didn't seek any evidence. He just took it on faith that that was true because that was that fit in with his Republican leanings. Yes. And, you know, Claudius, you know, needed this needed this narrative in order to justify putting the torch to Rome. Um, and ultimately, this is one of the things that, you know, I, I watching this now, I've seen this many, many, many times and I've learned a lot about it a lot about how to be human from it and you know lots of stuff from it but but it never struck me until now when i'm seeing it at the age of 48 where i'm a little bit older and it's like oh yeah i should not impose my narratives upon my children mm -hmm. um it, you know if claudius had not had this scroll uh or if he had the scroll and he was like this is just something that was written down i make my own i make my own fate and fortune he would have made better choices. You know what I mean? Like Britannicus could have been raised to be, he could have appreciated the, the empire, that the Republic was over. He knew that Agrippinilla and Nero were creeps. He wouldn't have married her and he could have raised Britannicus to be a wise and generous Claudian emperor. But he didn't because he thought he knew what was best mm -hmm. and he was wrong. Anyway, uh, we cut to... Uh, we cut uh, to we're nearing the end now and we cut back to Agrippinilla and Nero uh, reading also nearing the end reading the the last scroll that Claudius wrote before he died I have told it all as I said I would and as the Sibyl prophesied I have told the truth I have set the record straight it is all here for remote posterity Come death and draw the final curtain. And Agrippinilla is like, all right, that was good to read. Let's rip this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> what, 
Like this whole thing, this whole family history that he has written for posterity to justify all the decisions that he's made and to tell the truth about all the people he's known. Uh, and also that calls me loathsome and my son Nero slimy. Let's tear it up and burn it. <laughs> So much for posterity, she says. First, there's the little moment of Nero's going to start burning the paper, and he goes, there's something pretty about a fire or something like that. And it's like, yeah, we got it. We got it. Great fire of Rome. Maybe he said it. Who knows? That's right. I forgot about about that tip tip of the nose. (laughs) So the entire history of the Claudian family that I, Claudius, has been writing since the very first scene of the very first episode is now up in smoke, thanks to Nero and Acropanilla. It was all for nothing, or was it? Uh-huh. We cut back to Claudius's bedroom where he is now dead, being mourned by Britannicus and by uh, Narcissus, yeah. right? And Britannicus is like, so they killed him, huh? And, and Narcissus is like, yep. And Britannicus is like, how did they do it? I thought you were supposed to protect him. He's like, I did. I never let anyone touch his food. But, and then there's this flashback to this dinner scene where Narcissus is narrating. Like, I realized that the only way that he could have been poisoned would have been if Agrippinilla had poisoned her own food. And indeed, he remembered a a dinner where Claudius, once again, as he always did, called for more mushrooms. Because if there's something we know about Claudius through these 12 episodes of character development, it's been shown time and time again (laughs) that he loves mushrooms and will eat more of them. Now you say that as if it's not something that we've that we've come to know and love about him. I wish I wish that he'd been like, you know your dad, always with the mushrooms. And Narcissus is like, when you get used to seeing someone eat from a dish you don't think to imagine that one morsel of that dish might be poisoned and after Claudius has called for more mushrooms, Agrippinella spears one particular mushroom and in the most suspicious way possible. <laughs> proffers it to Claudius's lips and we know from looking at Derek Jacobi and Narcissus knows from looking at Claudius that Claudius slash Jacobi absolutely knows that mushroom is poisoned that his time has come and he eats that fucking mushroom because he is because he is ready and you can see in his eyes he's like oh of course they took advantage of my very well known very attested to by everybody love of mushrooms <laughs> Even even though they did not build in the mushrooms in the previous 13 hours of, te- well, 12 hours of television, not counting this one, because the first episode was a double episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still is a very effective Oh, no, I think so, time, too. And to, to be honest, mind. frankly, if they had built in this love of mushrooms, it would have been, you would have been like, okay, so he's going to get poisoned by a mushroom, I guess. Like, it would have been ridiculous. So the, uh, yeah. but it is a, the way that he, that he tells the story and the way we see it, and yeah, the look on Derek Jacoby's face where it's like, mm-hmm, yes. Like, death come for me right now, so this is how it happens. It's very, it's all, I mean, the whole episode has been chilling in various ways, and this this part, part is chilling, too. And framed very, uh, very smartly. I mean, you know, you have in the foreground, again, this is Herbert Wise now making some really interesting visual choices. You have in the foreground, Claudius uh, on the on one side of the screen, Agrippinilla on the other side of the screen, the mushroom hovering between them. And you see in the in the deep background, Pallas and Narcissus sort of registering what's happening. Uh, it was it was very, uh, very effectively filmed and very uh, touching and sad. And now we're back in their bedroom again. And Narcissus is saying that Claudius knew that he was going to die. He refused to admit anyone. He didn't want anyone to see him die. And, uh, and then Britannicus goes, well, 
uh, he never, you know, poor father could never take care of himself, but I will definitely take care of myself. And you're like, nope, you're going to die. It's, you know, we all know that's fine. <laughs> it's like, don't worry. The name Britannicus will be hallowed in the history of ancient Rome. That's right. I got this one. Hold, hold and, my beer, Narcissus. I got this one. <laughs> right. And, and, and as they leave, Narcissus <laughs> offers the truly faintest of praise. It's like, well, when you look back on it, he didn't do that badly for himself. <laughs> And then we hear the Sibyl and we see that floating golden mask that represents the Oracle, the Sibylline Oracle that we haven't seen since the very first episode. And Claudius opens his eyes and he's chuckling to himself. And and the Sibyl says, why are you laughing? And Claudius says, I cheated them again. They think I'm dead. And Sibyl's like, uh, you are dead, dude. (laughs) It's time to go. Time to go to the other side. And Claudius is like, wait, 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 wait. Britannicus, what will happen to him? And Sibyl's like, you know, you know, he's going to die. Nero will kill him. Agrippina will kill Narcissus. Nero will kill Agrippina. And Claude is like, oh, this is getting boring. <laughs> He's like, seeing it. And he turns and looks at the audience and goes, now I know what you guys feel like. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is this is the dark cycle of human nature, at least as expressed in, in this period of time in ancient Rome. He calls it depressingly familiar. And the Sybil is like, yeah, th- think of how I feel. <laughs> She's like, I see it coming and I see like, it going. It's like, <laughs> yes, like it just happens again and again and again. I'm nothing surprises me. I'm a, I'm a prophecy, a prophet. But then she's like, but, uh, you know, the, after Nero, there will be no more Claudians and there'll be a new line of emperors and some of them won't be as terrible. And then she also reveals to, to the audience, because Claudia certainly knows Good thing, uh, by the way, good thing you made a copy of your book and buried it under the ground for Robert Graves to find in a mud bog later or whatever (laughs) so that this story can exist. And then Claudius does get a little bit of the last laugh there, right? Because Agrippinilla thought she had destroyed the story of I, Claudius, but obviously the story of I, Claudius, just as, as Claudius promised, at least this version of the story will live again and continues to Mm -hmm. live year after year after year on acorn streaming media uh i think amazon, <laughs> amazon prime. prime has it to purchase uh the vhs yeah. and dvd his his tale will get out and and his version of history at this point is probably better known than the other accounts that that might yeah, have come up of course thanks to the bbc <laughs> <laughs> and and i dare say it's no no small amount of credit to this podcast <laughs> We have also kept the name of Claudius alive. And even though, I mean, it's, I don't, I, I, it's just, it's just interesting how powerful story is. Do you know what I mean? Because you were like, yeah, no one thinks about Britannicus anymore. It's like, uh, well, we yeah, are we're talking about I him. Mean, That's true. 2000 years almost after, after his death. Right. I'm sorry. I said M years. It's M. Yeah. yeah. And it's the, it's, but that's true. It, and there are so few people whose names last that long. And become and continue. You you think about like this show is about Rome, and we see little glimpses of the idea that there's an empire outside of it. But like we've really watched a show about, and even a show like this that feels like it has a huge cast. It's what like a couple dozen people, and their right. names live on in various uh, uh, in various forms. It reminds me of a there was an article in Time Magazine years ago about Moses, where just boilerplate stuff. They were like, he's he's been immortalized in film, and someone wrote in and was like, uh, Moses did not need the movies to immortalize him. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I thought it was so funny. Yeah. It's like good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> Story and writing is an extremely powerful form of kind of you know for as as pessimistic 
as this last episode is and the sense of like yeah the 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 cycle of death pain corruption love happiness betrayal sadness it does become depressingly familiar um and people pass out of out of memory all the time but there is this there is a there is this resonance of story even still and now however the sibling uh, uh oracle says to claudius now it is time uh to leave this story and dream a different story altogether farewell claudius farewell and this really stunning image of claudius you know in death and the only sort of special effect we have in the entire show where the screen burns like a scroll mm-hmm. r- revealing a, a version of the i claudius mosaic that opened every show but there are two things missing one is claudius. There's no claudius there there's no portrait of claudius and there's no snake yeah. and that's it the end in silence it was intense yeah. it's a it's a really it is such a it's an ending that sounds a little bit when we're describing it it sounds anticlimactic but instead it's it's really powerful just the quietness of it and this this crazy show that's had so many crazy things like un, unex- crazy big yeah, stuff. big things and unexpected things and sensational things and even in this episode moments of real like uh discomfort and terror and uh and things like that that it just ends with this kind of quietness is very like it's very uh a moving in the way that like um the last episode of uh Black Adder which is you know a sitcom essentially oh yeah but it's right. it ends yeah, it's yeah, World course. War 1 and it ends with them going over the top in the trenches and they're fighting and then it fades into what that field looks like today basically where they're supposed to be and it's just quiet and there's just like bird song and stuff and just that that sense of like everything yeah passing away into everything turning into nothing and the world going on around it is it's a really uh, humbling feeling, and it was so. It was so. It yeah. was very hard when Amazon was then like, mm, "Would you like to preview one of these shows?" And I, <laughs> and I was like, "No." <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's true. I I I I purchased it on you know iTunes years ago, so I got to just sit with it, you know, on my computer. I didn't get the um, coming right <laughs> Come up. Like, hey, uh, you, you you enjoyed that, but uh, how about gr- Vikings? <laughs> yeah, basically, um, you watch this. How about Great British Bake Off? That's British, right? Yeah. Coming right up. Diners, drives ins, and dives. <laughs> drives ins. I'm sorry, everyone in the world. <laughs> you like hairstyles like this, right? Like this Caractacus dude. But like, like you were yeah. saying about about storytelling and the importance of story. Like these are people who existed to me before only as historical names and even when i read the novels like they they came alive to a certain extent but watching them in this show it really felt like i was experiencing their lives with them and there was a sense of like loss at the end like oh these are people that i've come to know and their story's over and what am i going to do now and it's crazy to think that way because it's literally a 12 episode miniseries it's not like i spent years living with them but it's just a powerful right and they're and you know the the years that pass in their lives are condensed dramatically. Um, their their transitions in in their full lives are carried off with uh, with varying degrees of success. <laughs> Some of the younger actors feel compellingly like, oh, that's obviously that kid is Claudius mm-hmm. when he grows up. Do you know what I mean? But then as they age, of course, the old age makeup is a, a various success. 
And yet some somehow you do feel like, as I said, you know, we were talking about before in that Senate scene where Claudia sees the the ghosts of his family, the very cruel ghosts of his family. Like you remember them too in the same way. It's like, yeah, I miss those people. That's so weird. Yeah. It feels like I haven't seen them for years when in fact we've been, especially in this last half of this recording, we've been watching it every day. Just, I don't know. It's a, it's a very powerful. So now that you, now that I made you watch it, uh, uh, and obviously, you know, it has come to an end and all things must pass. And you and I are never going to speak again. <laughs> just, yeah. We, our, uh, our friendship will now be put in a leather trunk and buried in a yeah. bog somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Like, like Pal is saying to Narcissus, you are no longer my friend. Uh, how does it compare to your memory of the book? I have to say in some ways that it is. And again, I haven't read the book in a few years, so, but in some ways it is at times more powerful than the book, I think because, mm-hmm. partly because in the book you have to keep track of all these names and to see them attached to actual faces and actual living people uh, is a little bit easier. But like the the first book, I, Claudius, is just so, is really great. And the second book, Claudius the God, I, I find to be a big disappointment. And I think the TV show, even though it rushes through a lot of that stuff, handles many of those things much, in a much more palpable and like, um, like potent way than the book does. And so it yeah. feels like one of the few times where I'm like, oh yeah, I might recommend somebody watch this rather than reading the book. And then if they really like it, then they should read the book because the, I don't know, it's, it's, it holds up very well. But again, I'll have to, I, now it made me want to go back and reread the books to see what stuff was different between the show and the book, but also like what things I may have remembered one way or the other. And, but it's going to be hard for me to read the book again without imagining these people in those roles. You know, I, Claudius is now something that I've seen many, many times. And I said at the beginning of this episode, this is probably the last time, but that's not true because I never, I never get into this without seeing and learning new things about acting, about writing, about story structure, I guess about Rome, but who knows, you know, and then about being, about being human too. Mm-hmm. Like this, the that scene, which I've seen between uh, uh, Claudius and Britannicus many times before and, and with my own son in previous viewings. We didn't watch this one together because he, he's moved on to the Mandalorian now. Um, but <laughs> The I, Claudius of its day. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, as you get older, this is such a piece about getting older and seeing the world in different ways. And, and uh, that, that, that whole section had a much, much more heartbreaking resonance with me now that my son is is that age as well. And uh, just now, I just like, I don't think of the, I don't think of it as necessarily being, um, until the later episodes, I Claudius catches a lot of heat, understandably for its so-called low production value. And many of the early episodes really do not feel as anything other than filmed stage you know what i mean Mm -hmm. by the end they're getting more innovative and i have to give props before we leave like i said that the the burning up of the screen was one of the only special effects that they had but that floating mask uh of this of the sibyl floating over claudius's body while obviously the product of a very limited budget is a very simple special effect it's a very simple overlay of that mask but it's haunting and interesting and particularly the way they light the mask up and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then I didn't even think about it until I watched it today. And even then when I was telling you about how like the, the scene burns away 
and you are left with a pale blue replica of the mosaic that has opened every episode and it says i claudius but it's minus claudius and minus the snake and it wasn't until this moment i was like oh that's pretty intensely clever because claudius is gone and the snake is gone and maybe they were the same Mm -hmm. in some ways hey everybody this is just a reminder that all these episodes of ipodius have been pre-recorded including all the letters so when you send me letters at hodgman at maximumfun.org i enjoy them the world cannot unless you want to post or repost them at the maximum fun subreddit on the reddit website the maximum fun subreddit is a subreddit on reddit where people talk about maximum fun shows including ipodius and i've been using it a lot getting in there and answering people's questions and saying thank you for their comments uh it's a really fun community and we're doing a lot of ipodius talk over there so if you have memories of watching I, Claudius, and Latin class, or in a weird moment with your mom or dad when you were a kid, uh, just think to maybe go over there if you want. Reddit.com slash r slash maximum fun. That's reddit.com slash r slash maximum fun. Look for the Judge John Hodgman discussions. Look for the Flophouse discussions. Look for the iPodius discussions. And discuss! Thanks. You were one of the many students, or I should say now adults, who as high school students saw I, Claudius in their Latin classes. And you may not know, but almost everyone had a very similar story to yours, where A, you had an inspiring Latin teacher, B, he, she, or they decided to show I, Claudius, but had various techniques for obscuring the nudity. I think we heard about people who held up hands over the screen, teachers who held up manila folders over the screen. There are all kinds of different techniques. And your teacher, I say Magister Richard Golenko, but but I I don't think that that's right. I say Magister, Mag- but maybe that's my my Southern Emperor. Yeah, it was Magister Golenko, our leader. Magister Golenko, Magister, Magister, Magister... I guess they'll never know because we don't actually have a Latin teacher here to tell us. Wait a minute, we do. We have Richard Galenko with us on the line as well. What a surprise. Magister Galenko, are you there? Yes, I'm here. This is your high school teacher, Leanne. Mr. G! How delightful. Hi, Leanne, or should I say Livia? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Explain explain why uh, Magister Galenko made that joke, Leanne. Well, I was an average Latin student at best, but one of the minor successes that I had in my high school experience was competing in the state championship in the costume category. And my freshman year, it was Livia, and I won. So I'm a state Texas uh, champion in Latin costume. So you mentioned that Latin was a popular class to take in high school. Would you say that it was because of Magister Golenko? Well, I don't know what else to attribute it to, but, you know, every clique uh, participated. Everybody took Latin because it was the thing to do. What made it so attractive? What made his class so attractive? Make it, make him blush on a podcast if you can. Um, hugely entertaining. A comedian at heart, I would think. Very precise. 
Um, very compassionate, very motivating. What moved you to show I, Claudius in the classroom, given, given its rather frankly adult nature at times? And how'd you get yes. away with it? What prompted me to do it was that I'm something of an anglophile, and so we regularly watch, my wife and I watch Masterpiece Theater. Sure. And when uh, I, Claudius came on, it, I mean, I, I hadn't been watching it, but for a few minutes, and I thought, you know, I've, I've got to somehow get this to my classes and show it. And uh, historically accurate, it isn't in many ways, but the general tenor of what life was like back then among the Julio-Claudian emperors, it was pretty realistic from everything I'd seen, and it was something that uh, I thought they needed to see. When I first started showing it, I think I came out in England in 76. That's right. Showed in America in 77, and I first showed it in the fall of 78. And um, you were an early adopter of I. Oh, yes, yeah. I, I got it at a branch library of the Houston Public Library, uh, 16 millimeter reels. There were two of them. Uh, most episodes of I Claudius lasted about 54 minutes, so it, it was a tight squeeze to get it in there. I had to get two 16 millimeter projectors have everything set up as the class started. And uh, as soon as one finished, the next one would turn on. I would then rewind the other one so it would be ready for the next period. So it was a pretty constant thing. All the time trying to remember where I'm going to put my hand in front of the lens. <laughs> At first, I censored it for everyone. Then I censored it only for the... Uh, virgin ears of the freshmen who were usually 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. And uh, then eventually, uh, as I knew, I was within a few years of retirement. Basically, I said, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Intense hugging and kissing with Patrick Stewart, a lot of Patrick Stewart mouth sounds. There isn't any overt nudity in that scene. Were you censoring primarily for... Sexual content, uh, nudity, or what else were you? Would you put the hand up for? Nudity would have been the one that would have got me in the most uh, difficulty. I think. Yeah. One of the interesting things about censorship is that uh, violence is almost unlimited for not censoring. But uh, the first sign of anything sexual in the old days, it would be censored. Oh no, uh, we still we still worship violence and are afraid of sex today as well. And uh, I think that uh, I, Claudius, was actually a, a, a good mix of both. Uh, most violence, with the possible exception of the two episodes featuring Caligula, were, there, uh, were pretty, uh, not, the violence wasn't too much, but the, the sex, uh, that was interesting. <laughs> how, how long did you show it? Starting in 78, you said, right? I went all the way up till I retired in 2006. So it was 28 years. I figured it out one time, counting uh, probably I was in the 120s. And uh, uh, I'm going to sound like the ultimate nerd now. But the first two or three years after I retired, I still watched it every year. <laughs> <laughs> Only once, though, not four or five times a day. And, and when did you retire, sir? 2006. 2006. Yeah, so I'm in my 14th year of retirement now. 
Well, obviously, there, you know, there isn't a lot of call for spoken or written Latin these days. And we had Latin in my high school when I was growing up, but I don't know how common it is. What, what, what did you feel that the students were getting out of your Latin class, aside from a somewhat mastery of a dead language? Primarily, I wanted them to become expert in one subject, if possible, an academic subject. So they, they, uh, they all specialized in some area. I also made my Latin class more of a classical civilization class, mm-hmm. Greek history and life, Roman history and life, classical mythology, geog- uh, ancient geography, I mean, subjects like that, as well as English derivatives from, from Latin, English derivatives from Greek. I mean, just about every kind of subject you can almost think of. And I emphasized the practical for, uh, element with, with those. And then for people, I gave a, a diagnostic test at the beginning to see what kind of knowledge they had going in. And I could pick, spot the people who really loved mythology, for example. Mm-hmm. And I suggested that they do that in their, in their individual studies. So that, that was one thing. Leanne, obviously, Magister Golenko took a lot of care to make sure that he understood what all of his students were interested in and find some way for them to achieve in the classroom, particularly in a, the context of um, a, a language that isn't even spoken anymore in civilizations that um, don't exist. What did his caring about his students mean to you? How did it make you feel? You know, one of the best examples I can think of was reflected back at him was his retirement party. Yeah. I didn't go to any of my high school reunions. I wasn't very interested, you know, in revisiting that. I didn't keep in touch with many people. But when I heard Mr. Galinka was retiring, that was a reason to fly home. So there were hundreds and hundreds of students over many generations that gathered to pay tribute to him. And, you know, I am one of many that he made feel special and seeded that little bit of, you know, a lifelong uh, association with vocabulary and culture and, you know, everything like that. People who did dramatic interpretation or music. Yeah. And again, the humor. How does it, how does it make you feel that Leanne remembers you so fondly all these years after? Well, obviously it's, it's flattering and it, it makes me feel very good. Magister Golenko, thank you so much for all of your years of service to your your school and to your students and your continuing service to education in your retirement. Uh, thank you for all of your service to I, Claudius. Leanne, thank you for being here and bringing, bringing Magister Golenko to our attention. Am I saying it right, Magister? Magister. Magister. I'll get it right one of these times. Look, I never took Latin. I'm just, I'm, I'm learning it on the streets. Now, I didn't go to, I didn't have a teacher like you, sir. <laughs> what a lot of people don't know is that the story that Claudius dreamed after he died is a little story called Zed Cards. <laughs> well, it all ties together. No wonder they're all in it, too. You just as that's Look, why as he was as his his soul is fading away, you heard just a like just the revving of engines. Look, I'm ready to wrap this up in a in a in a in a truly poetic way. <laughs> is there anything else you want to say before I do uh, that? The, the only thing I want to say is uh, is one is uh, th- as thank you to you for uh, 
you know, conceiving of this thing because I've really enjoyed it. And it's, I'm so glad I finally watched this show and I feel like I picked up a lot from it. Like you, like you said, of so many different things, I'm looking forward to watching it again, but that like one of the greatest strengths of it. And one of the reasons I would recommend it to people so highly too, is to remind them that like the big lesson from it, that is, I think slightly more hopeful than the other lesson of things always get bad in cycles is that the people who lived 2000 years ago were people. And that means the people who lived 70 years ago were people. The people who lived 10,000 years ago were people. The people who will live in the future are people. And they are just like you. And they have things that they love and things that they don't love. And silly reasons for doing things. And moments in the course of history when they have to go watch a show that's being put on at a friend's house. Or have to eat something that they don't want to eat. <laughs> or like all the, they, they – that – Claudius is this figure in history, but all he really cares about is getting his books out, and he gets very irritated at the illustrations in them. That every that these people that we think of as historical figures were as statues, and therefore as either boring or stainless or frozen in time. That they were all human beings living in the moments they lived in, and that means we're human beings living in the moments we lived in, and that you're just part of this chain of of living people, and it thinking that way allows me to kind of be more merciful towards the people of the past and also yeah. more empowered in myself to be like, oh, okay, despite what Claudius thinks, nothing is is really faded or, or written in stone. It's all based on what someone does in the moment. Yeah. We're all moved at the same, we're all moved by the same dumb passions. And, 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 you know, the only thing that I would disagree with you there, uh, Elliot, is obviously, you know, a thousand or M or MM years into the future, uh, it won't be humans. It'll be cyborgs. <laughs> so who knows how they're going to think? <laughs> so let's look. And indeed, you know, now now that we have wrapped up all this ancient history, the future is uncertain. Maybe Elliot, you and I will get together and do another podcast about a TV show. Maybe that will be about Zed cars. <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll do something. Maybe we'll do something else uh, uh, soon. I hope so because I enjoy you very much. Um, maybe, maybe there will be some, I don't want to make any promises, but maybe we'll have some extra material, extra little interviews and stuff that we, you know, we might have a little reunion show sometime down the road. But for now, this concludes iPodius, a 12 episode special miniseries about iClaudius. Here, it's time to, it's time to put it all, it's time to put it all into a poison mushroom and swallow it down <laughs> and for us to die. <laughs> This episode of iPodius has been a production of Maximus Fun, which is a it's a Roman joke, but it also is kind of a Transformers sounding joke. Our producer is Jordan Cowling. Our, our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And if you happen to be watching iClaudius along with the podcast, as you should be, please let us know about your thoughts about the show. It's too late for us to talk about it in the podcast, but we're still interested. You can reach me at at Elliot Kalen on Twitter, two L's and two T's and Elliot. And you can reach John Hodgman at at Hodgman on Twitter and at John Hodgman on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme song, the theme for my Claudius was performed by Paul F. Tompkins. By the way, uh, the voice of the Sybil, Frida Dowie, Frida Dowie, who also played Sezonia. That's just something I meant to t say earlier. I'll add that to the credits. And all of this exists thanks to you, members of MaximumFun.org, but also especially thanks to you, Elliot Kalen. Thank you, Elliot. Oh, thank you too, John. I, I, this has been uh, just such a great experience, and I've, I've loved it so much. And uh, yeah, it's uh, something I will, I will cherish on my deathbed when the Sybil is like, well, it's time for you to die. And I'll be like, well, I got to do that podcast, right? <laughs>
it's it's that's still around, right? And she goes, uh, yeah, I guess somewhere. No one burned it no, up. I, well, that's excellent. That's excellent, <laughs> Elliot. We'll talk more later. For now, goodbye from I, John Hodgman, and I, Elliot Kalen. Uh, we'll we'll probably talk more later. MaximusFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Is that you, Sipu? Yes, it's me. Where are you? Here. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I cheated them again. They all think I'm dead. But you are dead, you fool. 